about behavioral teach you a lesson. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 21, it's nice for you to join us again, Meryl, for coming to the First Samuel chapter 21. We are in part two of breaking down First Samuel 21 as we go verse by verse, word by word, through the word of God. And we've entitled this Slipping Away, this chapter. And this passage of what we're looking at is slipping away in the right place. Now, I told this joke at 9.30, and they loved it. Almost brought the house down with us. We'll see if you like this joke as well. Especially the ladies. Three newlywed men were talking. All right, right there, right? Three newlywed men were talking. The first one said, I married a girl from Texas, and I told her I expect her to mow the grass, to do the laundry, clean the house, and have a hot meal ready for when I come home. Well, what happened, the other two asked. Well, the first day I didn't see anything, but by the second day, she started doing it. The second guy said, well, I can top that. I married a girl from Utah, and I told her I expect her to mow the grass, do the laundry, clean the house, have a hot meal ready, and have the kids clean by the time I come home from work. Well, what happened, asked the other two. Well, the first day I didn't see much, and the second day wasn't much either. But by the third day, she started doing it. Well, the third guy said, well, I married a girl from Michigan. And I told her that I expect you to mow the grass, do the laundry, clean the house, have a hot meal ready, make sure the kids are clean, and wash my car by the time I get home. Well, what happened, asked the other two. Well, the first day I didn't see anything. And the second day I didn't see anything either. And the third day I saw nothing at all. But on the fourth day, the swelling started to go down. <laughs> they thought it was funnier than you. But anyway, what happens when we get married? What happens when that relationship that started off so desperate and hard, I love you so much, I can't live without you, starts to slip away and deteriorate? In fact, one newspaper ad had this, for sale by owner, complete set of Encyclopedia Britannica, 45 volumes, excellent condition, $1,000 or best offer, no longer need, got married last week, my wife knows everything. They thought that was funny too, you didn't? Oh. Here's the truth, only Dave Decker has enough courage to laugh at that. Here's the truth, these important marriages, these important relationships we have, we start to let other things become more important. And they slowly start to slip away. It is very easy for the most important things in our lives, relationships, to slip away and not be the center of what they used to be. If you're taking notes, we're gonna start our slipping away thought with this. Guard the relationships closest to you. Guard the relationships closest to you. Listen, you know what the blessings of God are? No, the TV preachers will tell you the blessings of God are being rich and never having any health issues. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The blessings of God are relationships and people that are close to you. The fact that there is someone you love and someone loves you, that is a blessing from God. Amen? Amen. That's why, students, you need to be very careful who you marry. You need to be very careful who you marry. Listen, beauty fades. Now, for Mrs. Sheridan, that turned out to be the opposite. Beauty fades. Marry someone deeper than the flesh. Young people, students, marry a Christian. Oh, now let me be more specific. Marry a growing Christian in your life. You say, well, Pastor Steve, he's so perfect, he's so cute, he's so everything. Is he saved? No, then he's not for you. 
Is it fascinating? She's just wonderful. She's so talented. She's so charming. She makes me feel alive. She's my soulmate. Is she saved? Yes. Is she a growing Christian? No. And she is not the one for you. Relationships are difficult. And one of the greatest things about a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a linchpin to keep you together. David is beginning to slip away from the most important relationship in his life. His relationship with God. Now listen. If your relationship with God is wrong, every relationship on this earth will be wrong. You see, you don't have a marriage problem. You have a God problem. You don't have a problem with your husband. That's not the issue. The problem that you're having is that you have a problem with God. You don't have a boss problem. You have a God problem. You don't have a family problem. You have a God problem. You don't have a pastor problem. Like I did that kid. Up here, guys. Take it. You don't have a pastor problem. You have a God problem. You see, David is running for his life from King Saul. And if anybody has an excuse to bend the rules, well, it's David. So here's a great lesson to add if you're taking notes. God honors actions, not intentions. God honors actions, not intentions. It's never right to do the wrong thing for the right reasons. Did you hear me? It's another way of saying it's never right to do the wrong things for the right reasons. Well, I know, but see, I did something wrong, but actually, my intentions were good. I intended to do this. Well, let me just ask you something. Is it okay to rob a bank if you want to feed your family? I think God would probably look at most of us and say, no, get a job. Go out and get something, apply, go work for your money instead of stealing it. But we do this all the time, but we sacrifice what is right on the altar of expediency. Amen? Okay. David is running from his life, and he has an opportunity to do the right thing. But instead, instead he's going to do the wrong thing, and in his mind, for the right reason. He runs to the man of God, and he runs to the place where God is meeting. He is right where he's supposed to be, but yet he is slipping away from God. And with David's life as an example, we talked about slipping away in the right place last week. And last week we began, we gave you one point of our many points here. And number one, we said that slipping away, spiritual life slipping away, has leadership that is decaying. Not only did David have a king that was rejected by God, Saul, David had a high priest, a priest who was disqualified by God. This priest was a descendant of Eli, and God had already said, your descendants aren't fit to sit on the, to, excuse me, to do the office of a priest. How can a nation, how can a church, how can a family thrive spiritually when the leadership is decaying inside? They can't. Listen, that's one of the reasons why a pastor is held to a higher standard. Can you amen that? But that is also why everybody in here who is a teacher is held to a higher standard. That is why a deacon is held to a higher standard. That is why any of you that are helping out in vacation Bible school, you are held to a higher standard. Anytime you are in a position of leadership, God holds you to a higher standard. And with that in mind, we looked at Hebrews chapter 7. We saw that Jesus is our priest. 
Have we met a man by the name of Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter 7? We first meet him in Genesis chapter 14, where Abraham offers, uh, uh, offers tithes and offerings to him. And then he goes out, and Abraham he brings Abraham bread and wine, which are the symbols of the cross that we do during communion. And we said this, that Melchizedek is the order that Jesus is after as a priest, not Aaron, not the Levites. And in Melchizedek is the pre-incarnate, pre-flesh, carne, pre-flesh Jesus before Bethlehem. It is Melchizedek because only Jesus could be holy enough to begin the priesthood he followed. And we ask you this question, if you're here and you know Christ is your personal Savior, Jesus is your high priest. He is your go-between. You need no man, no woman, not me. The person who is your advocate, the go-between, your mediator is Jesus. Amen? Amen. He is your priest if you're saved. But I asked you in the last week as we ended it, is he your king? Because David needed a king and a priest at this moment. And if you're going to do anything for Jesus, he wants to be your priest. But you need him to be your king. And so today, our second point, a, a spiritual life slipping away, number two, we'll choose excuse over opportunity. Uh, look at verse two. And David said unto Ahimelech, the priest, remember that we saw in verse one, he was the great grandson of Eli, and Eli's descendants were disqualified from being priests. And David said unto Ahimelech, the priest, the king, remember king is King Saul, and God has rejected him from being king, hath commanded me a business. And has said unto me, let no man know anything of the business whereby I send thee, and what I have commanded thee. And I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. He's saying, the king told me to do these things. Next to verse 2, if you like to put notes in your Bible, you should put a couple things. First, put one simple word, lie. Because that's exactly what David is doing here. The king never said any of these such things or commanded him to do anything. These are complete lies. And next to that word lie, just put chapter 22, verses 9 through 18. We will see eventually, we will see eventually that David's lie has consequences and people will lose their lives because of his lie. David has an opportunity here to tell the truth. These men are unarmed. They're men of God. They really have been picked aside between David and Saul, and yet David is lying. He has chosen an excuse over an opportunity. The decisions you make in your life, and it's the everyday decisions that will get you. Most of us do the big ones okay. Uh, somebody annoys you, they cut you off in your car, and you come up to a, a red light, you have a decision, well, you want to be in front of me? Let's just make you wait in front of me, right? And you can... Most of us make the correct decisions on the big ones, right? Not to do things like that. But it is little decisions. It is the lies. It is the subtle things that we do. Those are the decisions that destroy our lives. You have to make decisions based on truth. It is. All right. I say this out of kindness. I try to hurt anyone's feelings as I say this. But we are doing a huge disservice to this generation. And not telling them the truth. Quite frankly, about silly little things like science. Science says that if your chromosomes are X and Y, you're a boy. If your chromosomes are X and X, you're a girl. And we are letting people live these delusional lives. It's not true. And when we listen, Jesus says the truth, not delusion, not political correctness or social conventions. Jesus says the truth will set you free. 
we are doing this generation a disservice. We're telling these groups, kids on colleges, things that are so ridiculous. I had a, well, Biracial girls, biracial children, and are in the process of adopting three African American girls. I don't have the privilege to ignore the fact that there are things called race. I've chosen to just make fun of the differences and just laugh at it because we're all children of God if we know Christ as our personal Savior. I said, but I got to raise these three little girls and I need to be aware of the fact that they're not white or Mexican. It will cause a difference. And she went, oh, oh, and no, I didn't have it. I said, yeah, you did. You're lying. I didn't say that. <laughs> no, here's some truth. There's two genders. And I don't know if you noticed or not. There's different races of people. <laughs> but you know what the great truth? Galatians tells us whether you're black or white, red or yellow, Jew or Gentile, male or female, at the cross of Jesus, we're all people. Mm-hmm. We're sinners. somebody gets up and says, well, Jesus became God. He wasn't always God. And if we follow this fact, what I'm telling you is more of a teaching. You don't have to learn about humans. Just learn the truth because once you learn the truth, you will spot a lie very quickly. David made a decision here to lie instead of do the truth. If you're taking notes, there's three things about his decision. I'll start answer. David chose a lie over the truth. He chose convenience over convictions, and he chose himself over others. You want to know why people lie? You want to let people do all these things? Because it's all about them. It's easier just to let you live in your lie. It's easier just to lie to you. It's easier to tell myself I'm lying for you because in reality, I just don't want to deal with the difficultness of the truth that might be in your life. In the end, the way David did this is the same reason why we all do these things. We choose ourselves over other people. Here's a great quote. The path to death starts with a detour from the truth. A Buddhist in Africa accepted Jesus as his savior. They asked the Buddhist, why did you change your faith? And here's what he said. It's like this. If you are walking along and come to a fork in the road and two men are there and one is dead and the other is alive, which man's direction would you follow? Once you chose Christ as your savior, choose him as your king. And choose truth today. The third thing about slipping away, that spiritualized slipping away, is this number three. They demand God meets their needs. 
They demand God meets their needs. Look at verse 3. Look at David's attitude here. Now, therefore, what is under thy hand? Is, is he asking? He, he asked a question there, but this is not a question, this next phrase. This is a demand. Give me five loaves of bread in thy hand, or what there is present. You cannot demand God work no more than you can demand a person change. No one has ever changed from a threat. Amen? Amen? And ladies, by the way, no one has ever changed because they were nabbed. I got one brave man. But this is how we treat God. In fact, there's a whole group of people, and I need to call these names out because I need to warn you. People like Joyce Meyer, people like Joel Olstein, people like uh, uh, Kenneth Copeland, uh, all these other nut jobs on TV and stuff, part of the word of faith. They will say, literally say things like this, that God has to do whatever you say as long as you say it in faith. God must do that. <clears throat> and therefore, God has designed you to never get sick. I don't know how anybody dies then. God has designed you to never be poor. They do not preach this in the Philippines. They do not preach this in South... Katie, they don't go to South Africa. Carrie, they don't go to South Africa and preach this. God never wants you to be sick, and God never wants you to be poor. If you just say it in faith, and that's what word of faith means, Reva, if you just say it in faith, God must obey you. There's a theological word by the name providence. Providence. And the word providence basically means this, my definition. God can do whatever he wants. I am so glad that God has chosen to limit himself. He can't stop loving me. Amen? Amen. He can't take away my salvation. Amen. Amen? He will never destroy this world by water. Amen? Because he made that promise. He will destroy it by fire one day. I am so glad that God can do whatever he wants, but he has chosen to limit himself in certain areas. Whatever happens and takes place in our life is the providence of God that takes place. He said, Pastor Steve, I, I don't like what took place in my life. I don't like that someone got sick. I don't like that we had to file bankruptcy. I understand that. But you need to understand this. We walk by faith, and our faith says this, that God knows better than we do, and we follow him because God's providence is great. Amen. Listen, if you're taking notes, this is, this, what I'm t talking to you right here would not be allowed in many churches today, what I'm about to say. God is not in our command. We are to live out God's command. Now see, what's taking place here, what David is doing, the bread that the priest is holding, there's probably 12 loaves, and David says, give me five, or give me whatever's under your hand because I'm hungry. David was running for his life. Give those to me. This bread was called the show bread, and it would be placed inside the tabernacle, and then later on it would be placed inside the temple. They would place that. It was a symbol of God's provision for his people. Here's some things for you, to, some notes to it. There would be 12 loaves, and they would be changed every Sabbath. That's important. Turn over to Mark chapter 2 as I'm talking. Mark chapter 2. I want you to see this connection. Here's two verses for you if you'd like to write notes. Exodus 25, 30, and Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. Again, Exodus 25, 30, Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. It says this, that that bread, those 12 loaves that were placed in there, in the temple, in the tabernacle, that symbolized God's provision, and they were changed out weekly, could only be eaten by the priest. It could only be eaten by specifically the high priest. After it was removed every day. And David sees the priest with the bread in hand. He hasn't eaten. He's hungry. And he says to the priest, give me five of those loaves or whatever else you got in your head. Give it to me. So we start in Mark chapter 2, and I ask you this question. Was David wrong to eat the bread? 
Hold on to your answer. Hold on. Look at Mark chapter 2. It is the Sabbath, and Jesus is going to reference this. Go back, go back here. Jesus is going to reference uh, David right here. It's on the Sabbath. Jesus and his disciples are hungry, so they picked corn. Mark 2, verse 23. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and the disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they do, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful to God? But listen, you understand a few things. First of all, the Sabbath uh, was designed to give us a break, not from work. The Sabbath was designed to give us a break from the law, the overbearing crushness of what the law was. The law was designed to show you you couldn't keep the law, that you were a sinner, that no matter things you think you could do, you could never do it. The Sabbath was a day of rest from the law. But this law that they're making reference, right, this is not the law that God gave Moses and the 613 commandments of the Old Testament law. This is not what they're talking about. This is the Pharisees' man-made laws that they came up with. That God gave these rules and principles, and they said, okay, well, let's just clarify it. And we'll expand a little bit more on it, and we'll expand a little bit more and a little bit more. Their laws were silly and ridiculous. In fact, they made a law that you weren't supposed to travel, right? You can't travel from home. So what they did? Well, as long as you don't travel a mile away from home. Okay, so then what they expanded that was, if I have to travel, and if I travel a mile, I'll take a possession from my house, set it down. Now that's my house. Go another mile, take another possession, set it down, and go further, and then set it down. You say, Pastor Steve, that's silly, that's ridiculous. For many of us, we were raised in this. You know I talk highly of my church that I was raised in. You know that I speak highly of First Baptist Washington, and Pastor Kate is one of my heroes. But I was raised in a lot of this nonsense. Stuff that I don't really understand why it was such a big deal. I went to Christian school for one year. First year, first and only year, praise God. By the way, Christian school, that's where I learned to lie, cheat, steal, smoke, and drink. It's a great place. Great. Great place. First day there, it's the 80s, Don Johnson, Miami Vice, right? I didn't wear socks my entire high school time. In fact, I didn't wear socks until about 1992, okay? Because that's what you did in the 80s. Some of you remember that, right? You didn't wear socks. So I didn't wear socks. I went there. I had the right hair pin. It didn't touch my ears because apparently God cares if hair touches your ears. It's apparently okay in church to have hair come out of your ears. Uh, I've seen that a lot, but it's not okay for it to touch. So I didn't wear socks. The teacher saw it, sent me down to the vice, the vice principal. We did discipline, and he said, you didn't wear socks. I said, well, I never wear socks. Well, well, what's the big deal with that? And I said, what's wrong with that? And that man looked at me and said, you cannot be godly without socks on. <laughs> and I thought, God cares about poetry? Why does God care? And today, just to prove a point on that, I'm wearing socks, but I'm wearing my short little Nike socks with my suit. So there you go. But we did all sorts of silly things like this. And some of you know this, right? Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Grew up in a church. Our church. Uh, you weren't allowed to have facial hair and sing in the choir. And I always thought, the pictures you give us of Jesus... He's got facial hair. In fact, it talks about them plucking his beard out. So what's, if I'm supposed to be like Jesus, but not, and I thought it was funny now that their pastor, they have not a very good man, very good man, but he has a beard. 
And I wanted to say something that was so bad and say, well, you're not, how do you preach when you can't get on the platform? <laughs> My issues I have to deal with. Verse 25. This is the type of nonsense. And he said unto them, have you never read that David did when he had need, was hungry, he and they that were with him? How they were in the house of God in the days of Abathar, which is Ahimelech's son, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them which were with him. You know what Jesus is saying? This is what Jesus is saying. I love this idea. This is my version of what Jesus is saying. People are more important than the rules. The average church says, oh, you got to get saved, and then here's our stack of rules that goes with it. This is how you dress, this is how you behave. Students, you have no idea. You should be so glad you have such an awesome pastor. But when I was young, when we would go to Cedar Point, think 95 degrees. You know, because you never know where the wind is. Nice. 95 degrees. We'd go to Cedar Point, and we'd have to wear jeans. We're not allowed to wear shorts. I guess I always thought because my knees would just cause some young girl to lust so bad. And, you know, it's like such amazing knees. But for my whole life, I was always like, oh, don't look at my knees. I don't want to get into sin we're not allowed to wear, we're allowed to wear shorts. That's ridiculous. Oh, looking back on that, that's just silly. See, you know what that is? That's taking the principle holy. Be modest, right? And it's adding man's rules and making man's rules just as important as God's principle of being modest. Jesus, let's listen to this. Jesus never rebuked a sinner. The only people Jesus ever rebuked were the religious people, the Pharisees. See, we've been called to love people wherever they are. Whatever position they're at, whatever standard they're at, we've been called to point people to Jesus. We've been called to teach them the truth. And so you know what that means? That means we need to be patient. We need to be patient with children and students. Because here's the thing about kids, here's the thing about teenagers, they break things. And every now and then they break things, and sometimes an adult helps them break things. <laughs> And other people had to patch it because the adult who helped break it was gone on vacation. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> I tell you this great truth, and I, this is how I've done my ministry. This is how I want us to open with this. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, student pastor of faith at the Duke School of Ministry, and all these kids were saved, but we were very traditional, suit and tie and everything like that type of church. And a group of people went to Pastor Gregory and complained, complained about me because of the way my kids were dressed. Because the girls were, you know, summertime. And honestly, yeah, it was immodest. And the way the guys were wearing flip-flops that had hats on backwards and stuff like this. And they were like, they shouldn't be dressed like that in church. And so they went to Pastor Gregory and complained. Pastor Gregory called my mom and said, Did you let her dress like this? I said, They're absolutely right, yes. Are some of the girls immodest? Oh, yeah, some of them are immodest. What about the guys? They wear a baseball hat. Yeah, they wear a baseball hat. I said, Well, Pastor, here's the thing. Most of them have only been saved a few weeks. Most of them. Some of them only saved a few months. And they're just kind of crazy about Jesus right now. And they're not going to understand all these rules. I said, so we have a choice. They can either be in church dressed wrong, or they can be dressed right and not be in church. And he said, I want them here, no matter what they're wearing. That's a great thing to have. Listen, people are more important than rules. I want to have this lady. Weeks as a pastor, you know, on a Sunday night church, and, uh, 
we had pews in this church and stuff. And uh, one of the little kids was like two years old. And he was running on the back pew, back and forth. One of these ladies came up to me. You know that lady, right? The church next to me. Like, older lady. Don't say her name because anyway. But you know that lady <laughs> church. And she came up to me and said, Pastor, that child is running on our pews. What are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I may join them. <laughs> and I said, I can't wait for the day you join them too, because I'm glad you have had this not met you. I don't know why they didn't choose me, Monica. <laughs> Jesus states it this way, look at verse 27. And he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Your rules are there to protect people. You're not there to worship the rules. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Why does Jesus mention David? Three reasons. Jesus mentions David, number one, to illustrate the absurdity of man's law. Isn't religion silly? I mean, you really step back and you look at some of the nonsense that religion is. And, well, if you do this symbol, what, well, if you pray in this direction, you've got to get a compass out. Let's pray here. Okay. If it's a, a man wearing this hat, oh, he's good. If you do it, I mean, all the ridiculousness that comes with religion. Aren't you glad you don't have a religion but a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? <coughs> Number two, to reveal that David did nothing wrong in eating the bread. There's a terminology. I'm going to give it to you, and I'll give you the passage of Scripture. You should know this. It's called the law of necessity. The law of necessity. And it's Deuteronomy 23.25. Deuteronomy 23.25. And basically, the law of necessity means if you got to do something, you got to do it. If your ox is in a ditch, you got to do it. Put it in practical terms. Listen to me. If you got to work on Sunday because your boss says you either work or you're fired, you know what you do? You got to work on Sunday. But can I also say this? We have Sunday night church. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. We have Wednesday, Wednesday morning, 11 o'clock, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Okay, there you go. If you got to do it, you got to do it. Your ox is in a ditch, you got to get it out. Amen? But there's a big difference between volunteering to work. There's a big difference between volunteering to miss God's house and volunteering to miss God's people. Sometimes you have to do things, and it's called the law of necessity. <laughs> Number three, to demonstrate that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the, the Jewish society, there was nothing bigger than this. Even today in Israel, nothing I've been told by people who've been there that uh, Jews that follow the Old Testament law and the Sabbath and stuff on a Sabbath will find some like uh, Arab child or Palestinian child to come into their house and turn on their lights and turn on their air conditioning for them because they consider that work by turning on a switch. Nothing is more important than the Sabbath. But what Jesus is stating here is that he is over the Sabbath and that he is the Lord. So let me go back to our question. Was David wrong to eat the bread? No. David was not wrong to eat the bread, but David was wrong to demand it from God. There's nothing wrong with David because he had a need and the law of necessity kicks in. There's absolutely nothing wrong with David if he had said, could, I, could you just give me some of that bread? And the priest said, yeah, you know, I'm on a low-carb diet anyways here. <laughs> there would have been nothing at all wrong with it if David had just said, please, would you help me and give me some of that bread? And the priest, oh, sure, good. Nothing wrong with it. The problem with David? David went to God and commanded and ordered God to act and behave. David was right to eat, but he was wrong to demand God do something for him. 
You see, it's easy to slip away from the most important relationships that matter in our life. And it's even easier to slip away from God. And you know what? The easiest place to slip away from God is not a bar. It's not in bed on Sunday morning. It's not on a lake on Sunday. The easiest place to slip away from God is a pew or a chair in church. David is slipping away in the right place because he's chosen to do the right thing for the wrong reason. I want to end with a story. There's a story of a young man who was raised in church, raised in a good Christian home, good Christian church, but he was struggling. And he was struggling with what to do with this thing called Jesus. At the time, he graduated high school. He wasn't into drugs. He wasn't into gangs. He wasn't doing anything illegal. He was just a church kid sitting in the back row wondering how real to make Jesus in his life. He was a church kid sitting in church and slipping away from Jesus. So the time for the special music came and an older lady got up to sing and she was very old in his eyes. I think she was about 45. <laughs> an older lady got up to sing a song that he had heard before. Like, <coughs> But this time, it's an upbeat, bouncy hymn, but this time, she sang it slowly, slowly, and acapella with no words, with no music. <laughs> Stay with me. <laughs> and when she sang that song, acapella with no music, and slowly emphasized the words, the backslidden, slipping away from kid, the words penetrated his heart because he finally heard them. The song, I Am Resolved, starts off this way. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. And by the time she got to the last verse, I am resolved, and who will go with me? Come, friend, without delay. Taught by the Bible, led by the Spirit, we'll walk the heavenly way. By the time she got to the last verse, his answer was clear. You see, you can slip away in the right place. And you can be in church and have the relationship with God deteriorating just like David. And you can just start demanding that God act and do a certain way to serve you. But the only cure, the only cure is to resolve, to commit to this. What I'd like to do is go back to that first one. Those of you that were raised in church, you know the song. But I'd like for us to end out our message today by singing this with you. Acapella, no music. Slower.